From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. We're glad you've tuned in today. Well, coming up on this Tuesday edition, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky met with both Republican and Democrat senators earlier today in pursuit of more U.S. aid. President Biden and Chuck Schumer are pushing Congress to approve an aid package that has an additional 60-plus billion dollars for Ukraine. By Republicans being unwilling to budge on H.R. 2 and getting ready to rush out of town, unfortunately, it may seem the case that these are both excuses and they really want to kill funding for Ukraine and never had any intention of passing it. That was uh, Senate Scare Leader Chuck Schumer. Republicans have thus far remained resolute, saying no additional military aid for Ukraine until until we secure our own southern border. More and more now, people all across the country recognize yeah. this is a crisis. Democrat mayors, again, continue to say it's a crisis, but Joe Biden will continue to refuse this problem. We're not going to let this go away. That was House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. It, uh, quite frankly, sounds like a stalemate. We'll get an update from Utah Senator Mike Lee a little bit later. Also, the House is scheduled to vote on formalizing the impeachment inquiry into President Biden tomorrow. As House Speaker Mike Johnson put it earlier today, there are no other options if rulemake, if the rule of law is the goal. The impeachment inquiry is necessary now, as, our, as Whip Emmer just explained, because we've come to this impasse where following the facts where they lead is hitting a stone wall because the White House is impeding that investigation now. So we have no choice to fulfill our constitutional responsibility. We have to take the next step. We're not making a political decision. It's not. It's a legal decision. The House is uh, currently voting, but uh, momentarily we'll talk with Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson who will be a part of the impeachment inquiry. And it is not just the Biden administration that is stonewalling investigations. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey's investigation into Washington University in St. Louis over their practices regarding irreversible, life-altering transgender procedures is being stonewalled as well. Washington University has refused to release information to the state of Missouri, resulting in A.G. Bailey filing a lawsuit. But there appears to be more. Guess who's encouraging Washington University not to comply? Attorney General Andrew Bailey joins us later. While Americans continue to feel the financial strain of Bidenomics, the abortion industry has found the Biden administration a very lucrative one for them. We'll explore a new report that reveals the Biden administration has funneled nearly $2 billion to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers over the last three years. And the United Nations General Assembly voted on and approved about an hour ago a non-binding resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Not only does this resolution fail to condemn Hamas for their crimes against humanity, it doesn't even mention Hamas at all. This is a resolution that will only prolong the death and destruction in the region. That is precisely what a ceasefire means. That was uh, Gilad Erdan, permanent representative of Israel to the United Nations. What does this vote mean? Well, we're going to talk about it a little later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from 1 John chapter 3. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. What it says here, sin is lawlessness. It is a rejection of truth and its application to our lives. Jesus came to take away this sinful nature. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. John is not saying that those in Christ will never commit sin. Uh, That's impossible. He's saying we'll not continue in our sinful nature. A truly born-again believer cannot continue in a lifestyle of sin and rebellion to the Word of God and be content and joyful. Rather, they'll be miserable. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, after today's markup uh, meeting by the House Rules Committee, the House is expected to vote as early as tomorrow to launch a formal impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Now, this follows months of investigation into influence peddling scheme, an influence peddling scheme that uh, netted the Biden family millions of dollars from foreign individuals and companies. According to House Republicans, this inquiry is necessary not only due to overwhelming evidence, but also to provide investigators with the ability to view documents and conduct interviews that so far the Biden Department of Justice has stonewalled. Now, with such a slim House majority, the question is, do the Republicans have the necessary votes to move forward? We're going to find out here momentarily when we're joined by Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson, but while we're waiting him to get waiting for him to get off the House floor, we're going to go to Sam McCarthy, news writer at the Washington Stand, to uh, to, to talk about uh, the issue that we, we've actually seen in the news in Texas, where uh, the Texas law protecting the unborn. Uh, we've seen a, a a mother appealing to the courts to try to have an abortion. What we've seen over the last uh, few years is an increase in out-of-state travel for abortions. Uh, so joining us now to, uh, to talk about this, Sam McCarthy, news writer at The Washington Stand. Sam, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks very much for having me on, Tony. So let's, let's talk about this, uh, this increase in out-of-state abortions. Is this the result of states that are adopting pro-life laws? Therefore, we have people going over into neighboring states that, are, that have uh, laws that do not protect the unborn? Yeah, it absolutely is. So after the fall of Roe, you had a lot of states implement trigger laws, uh, which effectively banned or almost completely banned abortions in the wake of the dismantling of Roe v. Wade last year. A lot of these states border states that have no abortion restrictions. One of the chief examples is Illinois. Uh, Illinois borders three states, uh, Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri, all of which have enacted stringent pro-life legislation. And so you've got people in those states seeking abortions, traveling to Illinois, which has no restrictions on abortions. So how does this factor into what we've just seen uh, play out in uh, in Texas? You've got this this notion of sort of we and we've discussed this before. We actually uh, Family Research Council hosted uh, a pro-life town hall meeting earlier this year where we discuss the idea of what what role does the federal government have in pro-life legislation at this point? Does the federal government have a role? And you had Senator Lindsey Graham argued that you have to have some kind of standard. You can't just have, you know, a New York and California committing abortions from, you know, the moment of conception till up to the moment of birth. 
Whereas you have states in, like Texas where you can't get abortions anywhere in the state. So it's really, you have to have something standardized. And so we're, we're seeing, especially now that we have this sort of, you know, to reference our, our scripture quote, lawlessness, in some sense, this lack of, uh, this lack of a standard, this lack of consistency across the nation with regard to protecting the lives of the unborn, we're really seeing a need for such a standard on a federal national level. I mean, how does that work going forward? I mean, if you have this uh, patchwork of uh, laws in differing states, I mean, it, it, it becomes very difficult, I think, for states that you know, have taken a stand for the, the sanctity of human life to protect the unborn. You've got a neighboring state that does not. I mean, long term, this doesn't seem to be workable. No, I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's going to be. I think that what we're seeing now is we're seeing essentially each individual state, largely through referenda. We've seen a lot of uh, referendums hosted throughout, the, especially over the past year, with various states, you know, from Ohio to Michigan to Maryland, trying to install abortion as a right in the state's own individual constitution. What we're going to wind up with is sort of, in some sense, what we saw uh, shortly before the American Civil War back in the 1860s. We're going to see each individual state having its own definition of what constitutes as a human being, who who qualifies for rights as a human being, and who, who gets treated like a human being. And we're, we're going to reach a point where we have some states that, you know, do, are just completely going to disagree with other states. We're going to have some states like Texas or Florida that have very strong pro-life legislation in place. We're going to have other states like New York, like California, like Illinois, that have no pro-life protections of any kind and don't consider an unborn child a human being. We're going to have this diametrical uh, ideological opposition that's really at, at the heart of the value of human life. Human life is not going to be able to maintain any value in America unless we agree on what constitutes a human life? Where does it begin? So, so Sam, you, you mentioned earlier the, the legislation being put forth by Senator Lindsey Graham, the 15-week bill, the, the point at which mm-hmm. a child feels pain, can suck his thumb in the, in the womb. That piece of legislation, if it were to become law, simply sets a minimum threshold saying that, you know, if your state, like Texas, has a, a more protective law, whether it be a heartbeat bill at conception, whatever it might be, you can go forward with that law. But as a nation, there would be this standard of 15 weeks. At that point, no abortions. I mean, it seems like, uh, given what we're seeing play out here, that something like that would have to happen. I'd, I'd think so. That would be a, a good starting place. I mean, look, at it, it took us uh, just about 50 years, uh, just shy of 50 years, to take down Roe v. Wade. We're going to have to start somewhere, and a 15-week ban as a standard uh, across the nation on a on a federal scale. I think that that would be a good place to start. You'd set a, a threshold, so it wouldn't be you know something that a, a lot of people would reject in referendums. And then you can work from there, from that point forward, so that you can get every state having legislation along the lines of Texas or along the lines of what Florida is trying to do, which is currently tied up in court. They right now have a 15-week ban. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a six-week ban into law. The 15-week ban was challenged on a constitutional basis. It's in the state Supreme Court. As soon as the Supreme Court rules in its favor, which is looking likely, uh, then the six-week ban will supersede that. So as long as we have a a starting point, 
you know, I, it took us 50 years, like I said, to undo Roe v. Wade. It could take us that long to undo this thing on a state-by-state basis if we have to, but it's worth it. Yes, and, and there is. there are other options out there, other policy uh, proposals that have been put, put forward that would prohibit uh, transporting minors, for instance, across state lines to get abortions. Uh, when you have a situation like this, of course, uh, it, it's not going to cover everything, but it certainly deals with the issue of of minors, which is something uh, that we're going to see more of. But but this doesn't address where we're seeing most of the abortions now occurring, and that is through the abortion pill, which the Biden administration is trying to make uh, you know ever present through the mail, uh, as well as turning pharmacies into abortion clinics almost on every corner. Yeah, which is thoroughly, there's no safeguards put in place. It's, it's a thoroughly dangerous practice. Yeah, so the, uh, the work ahead, as you said, you pointed back to the 50 years it has taken to get here. We got here by winning hearts and minds, educating people using technology as a part of that springboard of showing the humanity of the unborn. That process uh, will have to continue. Sam McCarthy, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, folks, uh, House still voting on some bills. It doesn't look like uh, Congressman Davids is going to be able to join us, but we're going to try to get you an update on this vote that's supposed to take place tomorrow that would advance and formalize the impeachment inquiry. Well, coming up next, we're going to uh, to hear from Senator Mike Lee over the uh, meeting with the Ukrainian president. What's next there? That's coming up. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Resources there for you. Contact information for our guest. Again, TonyPerkins.com. Our Ukraine president, Vladimir Zelensky, is uh, in Washington today. He was here yesterday. Today he was uh, making his case to congressional leaders for more aid to Ukraine before the Christmas recess. Now, this comes as Senate Democrats refuse, refuse, absolutely refuse to address the crisis at our southern border, meaning the foreign aid stalemate will likely extend into January. Joining me now by phone with the latest on this, as well as the National Defense Authorization Act, is Senator Mike Lee from Utah. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Senate Budget Committee. Senator Lee, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. So, so what's, what's the, the latest, latest on the meeting, meeting with, with uh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian President, President Zelensky? Zelensky? Any, uh, uh, any movement there? Did he convince, convince Democrats, Democrats to support border security? security? Not exactly. Look, he's become such a frequent flyer in Senate circles. It almost feels some days like Vladimir Zelensky has become the 101st U.S. senator. In any event, you know, I was tempted to ask him the whole time, what are you going to do to protect American border security, given all that we're doing to protect your border? Uh, didn't ask that in order to anybody else. The fact of the matter is this four-headed monster uh, that they've been trying to put together uh, is becoming clearer by the minute that it's not going to happen, certainly not in this calendar year. Uh, I doubt very much whether it can happen even next year, but it's certainly not going to happen between now and uh, the end of this calendar year, nor should it, in my view. Look, we've already given $113 billion to Ukraine since this war started a little over a year and a half ago. That's a lot of money. There are people in the United States who do not make $113 billion in an entire year. And in addition to that, uh, we've given more than any other country on planet Earth. In fact, I believe we've given more than every other country on planet Earth combined, including the countries who are our NATO allies, who are screaming most loudly, telling us that we've got to spend more in Ukraine. I find this unacceptable especially unless or until such time as all of those NATO allies are spending uh, the same percentage of their GDP that they've committed to spend through NATO and have spent as much or more combined than we have, they certainly have no right whatsoever to tell us what we've got to do. And I find it offensive. Uh, Uh, Senator, Senator, part part of of this package package was support support for for Israel. Israel. 
And that came over from the House. The Senate has refused to move it forward. I think Republicans have gone to the floor four times to try to put this, uh, to tee this up. Democrats refusing to help Israel. Yep, that's right. You know, the House of Representatives has passed a measure that would provide aid to Israel. This a uh, little over $14 billion of much-needed aid to Israel that I think every Republican in the Senate supports. In fact, uh, the, that legislation could be signed and become law tonight. It could happen tonight, uh, but for the opposition of 51 Democrats, all 51 Democrats and President Biden. If they would just relent and allow us to fund uh, the effort in Israel, that could be behind us. That is, moreover, a bill in which the spending is offset. And uh, uh, so it doesn't add uh, to our national debt and deficit, which is probably the way we ought to be doing these things. And yet the Democrats don't want to do it. They won't let us fund anything unless we'll fund everything, including the more than $61 billion that they want to send to Ukraine. By the way, Tony, that includes an astonishing uh, $12 billion that just goes to pay all of the civil servants in the Ukrainian government. We're we're covering their entire payroll, apparently, for an entire year, in addition to providing weapons, support, humanitarian aid, and all kinds of other things. I don't get it. This makes no sense. No. And why is it that we're fetishizing Ukrainian security while ignoring our own border security? That's appalling. So just just to be very very clear, clear, Senator, Senator, no no movement— from, from the, the Democrats, Democrats on border, border security, security in order, order to, to get, get this, this aid package through. No, they're afraid even of their own shadow. They're afraid even of their own lip service to border security. They won't even commit to making some overt gesture that we probably wouldn't even accept as uh, a sufficient offering to justify this this kind of a move. They won't even do that because they're so beholden to their far-left progressive base that basically wants open borders. And for reasons that astound me, want to continue subjecting men and particularly women and children to the exploitative abuse that they suffer at the hands of these drug cartels who make billions of dollars every few weeks just moving human trafficked uh, individuals uh, uh, into our border. This uh, This is disgusting. It's appalling. And I really don't understand how their voters are putting up with it. Uh, Senator, very, very quickly, quickly, another question for you. The National Defense Authorization Act, you stood with Senator Tuberville in trying to get taxpayers out of the abortion facilitating a business. Uh, that is, was taken, that was a provision put into the National Defense Authorization Act that took care of that. That's been taken out. What is the future of the NDAA this week? Uh, look, the NDAA passes every year. It passes every year, even when it shouldn't pass every year, frankly, because a few senators have gotten together and said we must pass an NDAA every year. And we must do so because we said we must do so. As a result of the fact that people have just decided in the Senate that it has to pass every single year, members of the Senate have gotten way too permissive in what goes in there and what doesn't go in there. There are things that are not in there that should be there, like those hard-fought victories obtained in the House of Representatives, uh, restricting the use of uh, DOD funds for abortion travel, for example. Not in there. They took that out. It took away all these major victories in the House and capitulated 
to the Senate side of it. And then they also added this provision extending the national uh, extending through the National Defense Authorization Act, seven, Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, uh, all based on an unwillingness on the part of uh, sort of the military industrial complex to accept the fact that before searching for a U.S. citizen's private communication stored on the 702 database, they should have to get a search warrant. They were unwilling to face the music on that. So what did they do? Well, they extended it uh, by a few months through the NDAA. That's disgraceful. Well, Well, speaking speaking of the music, music, uh, there's the music music playing. means our time time is up. up. Senator Senator Mike Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right, Merry Christmas as well. Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Uh, Some not-so-good news on the NDAA. We'll continue to monitor that. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey joins us next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Watch out, Tony Perkins, your host. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday. You know, it's not just the Biden administration that is stonewalling investigations requiring the Congress to formally launch an impeachment inquiry. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey's investigation into Washington University in St. Louis over their practices regarding irreversible, life-altering transgender procedures on minors is also being stonewalled. Washington University has refused to release information to the state of Missouri, which resulted in Attorney General Bailey filing a lawsuit. Now, there actually may be more to this, as someone may be telling them not to comply. Who could that someone be? 
Join me now to discuss this and more is Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey. General Bailey, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me on. So, so General, let's, uh, let's talk about this lawsuit. What inf- this has been ongoing. This has been an investigation into the practices of Washington University in St. Louis that questionable practices, I should say, regarding minors and transgender surgeries and treatments. What information have they blocked you from obtaining? Well, these were deplorable child mutilation factories that were operating across the state. A whistleblower came forward back in February and caused us to launch an investigation into the clinic in St. Louis. And the allegations the whistleblower made were very specific and very credible. And so we began obtaining evidence from the clinic. Uh, the clinic was at first cooperative, and so we got several tranches of documents that we've been able to go through, but it led us to some different angles of our investigation, and so we've uh, followed up with additional requests for documentation. The problem is that suddenly, after agreeing to turn over the second tranche of documents, the clinic has now said that they can't because of HIPAA. Uh, we have reason to believe that the federal government has whispered in the ears of the clinicians and told them not to comply with our investigation, yet HIPAA has an explicit uh, exception for state regulators who are investigating these types of abuses. So we're entitled to these documents legally, and we filed suit to make sure we can obtain the documents and, and close out our investigation and hold any wrongdoers accountable. So so let me be, let me, let me push pause here for just a moment, General Bailey. So could it be the Biden administration is whispering into the ears of Washington University saying, look, we don't think you should be giving these documents over to the attorney general in his investigation. That's exactly right. We're going to file a Freedom of Information Act request to try to get to the bottom of it and root out where this is occurring at the federal level. But we have every reason to believe this is originating at the federal government. and They're trying to use HIPAA as an excuse to shut down this investigation. And it's consistent with the radical transgender ideology that the Biden administration has pushed on schools, has pushed on businesses, has pushed on colleges and universities, has pushed on public restrooms. So uh, it would not surprise us at all to learn that this is the case. And we'll continue to fight back this lawsuit and our Freedom of Information Act requests are the best tools that we have at our disposal at the present time to accomplish just that. Well, not only is this consistent with their ideological bent, of promoting this, but it's also consistent with their tactics of delaying and stonewalling, forcing people to go through circuitous routes to try to get this information, all with the hopes that the clock will run out or they'll go away. Well, the bad news for them, I'm not going away. I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children. We've been on this issue since day one when I took office early this year. And we're not going to stop now. Our General Assembly has enacted a statute, and I'm proud to say it put a stop to child sterilization in the state of Missouri. And my office successfully defended that statute from legal attack by the ACLU, and we were the first state in the nation to win at the trial court level on this issue. But that doesn't mean the investigation goes away. Again, if there were child abusers mutilating children in violation of state law, if there were parents that were duped into consenting to these dangerous life-altering procedures uh, without proper consent, we need to know that. We need to hold wrongdoers accountable. It's important that the public understand what went wrong here so that we can prevent it from ever happening again. So we're not going to let up now. So so let me ask you this, General Bailey, what do you, I'm asking you here to kind of, to, 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 to guess based upon what you've seen thus far in your investigation, what are they hiding? Why are they refusing to turn over? If there's nothing wrong here, if they've done nothing wrong, why would they not turn over this documentation? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, if the if the, what the whistleblower says is true, and we have reason to believe it is, then the, that's going to exist in the evidence and the in the documentary evidence that we're going to obtain. So that would be the only reason to prevent us from seeing those documents because they're afraid it's going to corroborate what the whistleblower uh, said when she put her name on uh, an affidavit and swore under penalty of perjury that what the accusations she was making were true. But I would also point out that not only was the whistleblower willing to put her name on the line on an affidavit to initiate this investigation, she testified in the trial where we defended the statute that put an end to these child sterilization procedures and it subjected herself to cross-examination. This woman is incredibly credible. Uh, she subjected herself to the legal process. And so, again, that would be the only reason they would be trying to hide those documents is to, to hide the corroborating evidence. Well, I, I am uh, grateful that there are uh, attorneys general at the state level like yourself who are willing to, to stay on this and expose this type of corruption. I mean, this is this is I mean, you've you've been taking the Biden administration to task on a number of things, but it shows that this is deep and they're not only affecting the federal policy, but they're now reaching into the states to do the same. Uh, General, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, always great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you as well. And speaking of Christmas, folks, that brings us to the uh, to the end of the year. It's coming up, and this is when most nonprofits get a lot of their support. And if you would like to support us in being a part of ensuring that faith, family, and freedom is defended and Washington Watch continues, we've got people on our team standing by to take your call at 800-225-4008 if you'd like to partner with us. And for any gift over $30, we'll send you a free gift. It is our new Stand on the Word journal. So give us a call. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be giving guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yes, it is. Merry Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch for this Tuesday edition. And, uh, you know, as we uh, start the new year, I want to invite you to join FRC's Bible Reading Plan. We're going to start uh, over with our two-year journey come January. And we've got a great resource this time. It's called our new Stand on the Word Journal. It's uh, it's a great resource as you go through the Bible. And for any tax-deductible gift over $30, we'll provide you with one of these Stand on the Word journals. And we've got uh, members of our team standing by to take your call, 800-225-4008. So you can not only stand with the Family Research Council, but get your own Stand on the Word journal. So give us a call, 800-225-4008. Zero eight. All right. Uh, tomorrow, the House is scheduled to vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. I mentioned that at the top of the program. Joining, now, joining us now to discuss this, Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, who is also a member of the Oversight Committee, will be a part of this inquiry. Congressman, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. Hey, always good to be with you, Tony. I appreciate you, appreciate you taking, taking time, time to join us. I know you've been uh, in, on on the floor in, in votes. So let's talk about this. Very narrow margins. You're going to have to get almost all of the Republicans on board to advance this. Are you there? I think so, Tony. You know, it's uh, it's it's always uh, tough these days with a with a three vote majority. Uh, a lot of different opinions, but I'll remind everyone, and we've been reminding everyone in the conference. This is to further the inquiry. This is to further the investigation. This is not impeachment. Uh, and what we have so far, I mean, this is a, just a snippet of a long list. We have bank records. We can follow the money to show that the Biden family established uh, over 27 shell companies. I don't know any sitting vice president that needs to establish dozens of shell companies, including several in his grandchildren's names. We know he bought a house two and a half million in cash. We know there's a series of, quote, loan repayments, although there's no documentation of any loans provided. And that is a key red flag to uh, anti-money laundering investigators uh, for money laundering. We have an FBI form, uh, official form 1023, showing a bribery scheme from Ukraine. We know we have IRS whistleblowers, sitting government employees 
that say their investigation to determine if taxes were paid were obstructed uh, and and slow down and and slow rolled by the uh, by the Department of Justice under Biden. So I think there is more than enough to say we need additional records. And what this inquiry will do was will give us greater standing in court and give us greater standing if there's any dispute with the executive branch to say the American people deserve to know the answers to these questions. And when the de- when you Tony, when you hear the Democrats say, "Okay, fine on Hunter," and by the way, he's just been indicted in California on tax uh, evasion, but there's still no connection to Joe. We know he lied. We know he made phone calls to Hunter's business partners. We know he sent dozens of emails from a fake account. Uh, and I think the underlying crime, the high crime and misdemeanor, because this is very serious, unlike. Mm-hmm the Democrats under Nancy Pelosi, this is a very serious constitutional power. Were taxes paid? We want those records. Did he aid his son in being an agent of a foreign power, unregistered? And was there obstruction of a legitimate investigation uh, from uh, his uh, Department of Justice? Those in and of itself deserve uh, to be investigated, and the American people deserve to know. So, so, so let, let me ask, ask you this, this question, question, Congressman Waltz. Based, based on, on what you just presented, presented and, and I, I heard uh, House Speaker uh, Mike Johnson talking about this earlier today, would it not be irresponsible of Congress not to look into this, given what information has come forward? We, have a, we absolutely have a responsibility and a duty, and ironically, Tony, you know, I'll remind folks that uh, you know, Bill Clinton was actually at the height of his approval ratings at the end of impeachment because the media painted him as a victim. Uh, President Trump uh, was at the height of his approval uh, in February of, of 2020 uh, because for different reasons, because there was actually really nothing there. But the point is, this actually, you know, with, with the media stacked uh, against us, this could actually work against us politically. The Democrats are saying all about politics. This is actually, there is so much information here. This is about substance, and this is about corruption at the highest levels, and an influence scheme, not from countries like, I don't know, New Zealand or, or Austria, from countries that are our listed adversaries, from the Chinese Communist Party, right, right. from Russia, from, and from corrupt elements of, of Ukraine that we have Joe Biden on record uh, bragging about. So we're going to get to the bottom of it, uh, regardless of the politics. And you're absolutely right. And Speaker Johnson's right. We have a duty to do so. One final question on on this topic, Congressman Waltz. Just to be very clear, as you've pursued this information thus far, you've you've had the Department of Justice and others that have actually blocked and stonewalled this investigation, have they not? Well, for example, uh, we would have never known that there were 180 suspicious activity reports uh, on uh, Hunter Biden and the Biden family. Remember, and we're just on the tip of the iceberg on Joe Biden's brother, uh, Jim, uh, 180 of them. We would have never known once we found out they were there. The Treasury Department still won't hand them over. Uh, we, we've We've seen them, but they won't hand them over. It's things like that. It's it's the president's tax returns. Did he declare these monies? Did he pay taxes? Did he pay taxes on the five million that we have a sworn known FBI informant said he received? 
And did he change policy as a result, which would be bribery? It's explicitly listed in the Constitution. Uh, so there are a lot of records that we've been after. The administration won't provide them. This inquiry gives us greater constitutional and legal standing to get them when uh, they're disputed in court. Well, we're going to be watching that vote very, very closely tomorrow. I, I want to switch topics here for just a moment. Uh, Congressman Mike Waltz, uh, Friday, the United States vetoed a resolution in the U.N. Security Council demanding an Israeli ceasefire. Now Arab and Islamic nations called for an emergency session of the General Assembly this afternoon, and there was a vote on a resolution making the same demand. Now, it's a non-binding resolution. But what, what's the goal here? It's, it's a non-binding resolution, but what is this, an effort to try to isolate Israel from the rest of the world? Well, that, that's exactly right. And, and first, Tony, look, I, I want to give credit where credit's due on the administration vetoing uh, this anti-Israel, anti-Semitic move in the U.N. And, and again, give credit where credit's due. Right. The administration uh, made the right stand. But, yes, this is the U.N. showing its true colors. Uh, they do this often. It's a, it's a bit more nefarious through things, um, you know, like the U.S. U.N. education and other things that are, that are a little more sly uh, in their, um, you know, in their anti-Semitism. But this is on full display. And look at the list of countries in Europe uh, that either vote, abstained or actually voted for. Uh, this this ceasefire, which absolutely 100% would be a win for Hamas. Uh, this is what they want. They want to be able to get away with their atrocities and then galvanize world opinion against Israel. Uh, it's playing right into the terrorists and Iran's hands. Uh, and this is why you've seen House Republicans repeatedly vote to defund the U.N. Enough right. is enough, whether it's our tax dollars going to poison Ivy League colleges or whether it's going to the U.N., we've got to make a stand. And the last thing we should do is be funding it. Well, let me ask you about that, Congressman. Will this provide greater impetus for the defunding and pulling the United States out of the U.N.? Well, I would hope uh, many of the, the Democrats that are, that are standing strong with Israel and standing with our, our, our Jewish Americans and Jewish people around the world against terrorism uh, would would kind of see the light here uh, in, in what's going on and start voting, voting with us when we're, we're calling out this blatant anti-Semitism in the U.N. Uh, uh, one final question on this topic, Congressman sure. Mike Waltz. Uh, you and I have had many conversations about foreign affairs and foreign policy. Uh, this is quite significant, this development that is taking place, because as we've seen this, you made reference to the anti-Semitism that has been seen in our own country in, in Europe. Uh, this is uh, almost unprecedented in modern times of what we're seeing. What does this say going forward? I mean, this is almost a shifting of the geopolitical landscape in the world. Well, I've, you know, if you look closely on, on the votes here, you see um, you know, more narrowly in Europe, you see Eastern Europe, which is actually uh, many of those countries – are contributing their fair share in the fight against Russia, have stood with the United States, uh, and uh, voted against this ceasefire. And then you see kind of the, the old Europe, um, you know, the Frances and, uh, and Italys and others that either abstained or actually voted uh, for the ceasefire. So I think you're seeing that schism. Um, but I, I would, Tony, I would almost say this is, 
you know, in, in biblical terms. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a, a shift that many of us have always feared. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a this is truly a global and existential fight of good against evil. Uh, and what's so scary uh, and should scare everyone is how the minds of our next generation of our young people are getting poisoned in our uh, educational institutions. And to me, that's where that's where the fight truly is. Um, uh, and, and that's where we as conservatives uh, have got to stop complaining uh, and making more progress. I think you're spot on. I agree with you uh, totally. Congressman Mike Waltz, always great to, uh, to visit with you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. All right. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you. All right. Merry Christmas. You know, and Merry I would, Christmas to you. I would add to, to that when he, he talks about you, this is a in line with biblical, a biblical shift. I mean, it, it is what we what we see in Scripture as, as playing out. I think as we've talked about, all the pieces are there that could fall into place. I, need, I think we need to be praying about this, under trying to fully understand the times and to know what to do appropriately and pushing our elected officials to take the right positions. But I, I do think this is seismic. Th- this is quite significant. I don't think we should write it off as just another, in this particular case, another U.N. vote. But I do think it is showing a major alignment who stands on which side. Quite significant. We're going to continue to... Uh, to watch this. All right, very quickly, I want to I want to bring in another topic here. According to a government accountability office report released to the Washington Stand, the US government directed nearly 2 billion dollars in taxpayer money to planned parenthood and other abortion industry businesses over a 3-year period. A coalition, a coalition of 145 members of Congress led by Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee requested the GOA the GAO report which also revealed that funding from COVID relief programs, such as the Paycheck Protection Program and the American Rescue Plan, was directed to abortion businesses. As polling consistently reveals that Americans oppose taxpayer funding of abortion, both domestically and overseas, what measures can be taken to prevent this in the future? And joining me now to, uh, to discuss this, Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. Ben, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be with you as always. All right, we just got a couple of minutes here, but what did this report show us? Well, it showed that uh, actually this was, uh, I was cautiously encouraged by what I read. We came in about $100 million less this three-year period than the previous GAO report for the previous three years uh, under Obama and Trump. That's thanks largely due to the pro-life policies enacted by the Trump administration, reinstating the Mexico City policy and the protect life rule especially. Um, about 90% of uh, Planned Parenthood's funding from the HHS comes through Title 10, and the Protect Life rule said that Title 10 recipients can't carry out abortions in the same office where they're being funded for family planning. Uh, they have to be fiscally and phys- physically separate. So this was kind of a salmonic move. Not only did Planned Parenthood pull out of the program uh, for more than a year, but also at the same time it exposed that Planned Parenthood really cares about abortion, not about health care. So, so what about the um, Planned Parenthood, 38 Planned Parenthood affiliates received 
$90 million in funds from the Paycheck Protection Program. This was designed to keep small businesses open during the government-mandated lockdowns in 2020. Of course, we know in most states the abortion clinics were open. They weren't forced to shut down. Well, that's right. And uh, this was highly controversial because the CARES Act said that the uh, PPP program was only supposed to be available to uh, people who employ less than 500 employees. Planned Parenthood and its federation has more than 16,000 employees. Uh, so they counted each chapter separately. And uh, the Biden administration, uh, under its inspector general, allowed them to slide with that, uh, despite uh, uh, encouragements from Marco Rubio and uh, Representative Cynthia Tenney of New York to uh, investigate this. There's also a bill from Debbie Lesko to return all of these funds. Of course, uh, during this time, these, these funds, which were intended for small businesses, that meant that uh, they did not always uh, reach their intended recipients, small businesses, right. mom and pop shops. There were an extra 200,000 businesses that closed down during COVID, obviously a great deal of business attrition during that time. Any one of those businesses would have been happy to have this money right. I go to them instead of this billion-dollar abortion industry. Very, very quickly, uh, Ben, we're up against the end of the show, but can we expect Congress to do anything with this information? Uh, they should do everything that they can to cut off all future funding of Planned Parenthood, if nothing else, to assure that the Hyde Act, uh, the Hyde Amendment, applies right. equally to all federal funding. All right. Ben Johnson, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you. And folks, you can read more about that story and more at The Washington Stand. Go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, we're out of time for today, but let me encourage you once again with the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.